You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to a brand new Rooted Discussion episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and welcome to the Bowman's Hill Wildfire Preserves Land Ethics Symposium. The 24th annual. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's getting up there in age. So this is uh, not a live podcast, so you no. won't hear any crowd applause or boos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fran doing that. But, uh, yeah, but it's something we are starting the recording uh, here, and they're actually going to air it on their virtual land ethics symposium. Yep. Um, and then we will be live for questions yeah. and answers at the symposium. Yeah. And then uh, the conversation continues past that. So if you listened uh, – if you're listening today and when it ends, you can tune into the podcast tomorrow when it airs and hear the rest of the conversation. Yeah, so today we have a, a well-represented uh, and ra- well-rounded mix of native <laughs> nurseries from our region. Uh, so let's not waste any time and get into some introductions. Uh Jim, why don't you introduce yourself first? Hi, everybody. I'm Jim McKenzie, president and co-owner of Octorare Native Plant Nursery. We are a grower of container-grown woody trees and shrubs for the mid-Atlantic and northeast regions, um, propagating and growing plants uh, at two separate locations here in southern Lancaster County and southern Chester County, Pennsylvania. Uh, We ship throughout the mid-Atlantic and uh, looking forward to being part of the conversation today. Yeah, and um, and John, how about we go to you next? Sure. <clears throat> My name is John Mark Courtney. I am the owner and a grower at Kind Earth Growers up here in beautiful Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Uh, we do all herbaceous perennials uh, native to the mid-Atlantic and beyond. Um, everything here is seed grown, and um, yeah, it's my 25th year growing, and happy to be back on the on the podcast with you guys. Awesome. Awesome. And Donna, how about how about you? Hi, I'm Donna Derringer. I'm the nursery manager at Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve, also in Bucks County. Uh, we sell primarily uh, straight species of perennials and uh, woody uh, plant material to um, the local customers. Uh, we have had people from as far away as Long Island, but mostly uh, we're uh, we supply our local um, uh, retail market. Awesome. So I think this gives us a pretty well-rounded mix. Tom and I being with Pinelands mm-hmm. Nursery, which is a 100% native plant nursery uh, located in Columbus, New Jersey. We do containerized shrubs and trees, uh, two-inch herbaceous plugs. We do uh, woody tublings, uh, tubling liners, and also seed. So between all of us here, we have a pretty good mix, and we're, we've all had the luxury of being – selling native native plants for for a very long time and i recently had someone ask me you know why native plants or why now and my answer without thinking to them or thinking before i said it my answer to them was if i were to tell you about this new company ibm before they went public and told you buy stock because it's going to be big one day would you do it that's that's how i feel about native plants right now native plants are hot now's time to buy how has that changed? Like, let's let's go back five years, and we can we can all have the luxury of going back even even further than that. How does today feel different to you 
than say five or ten years ago. Jim, you want to start? Sure. Um, I think it's a two-part question for me. The one is how do we feel as a as a grower, and the other is how does the industry feel and the marketplace and stuff like that. <clears throat> for us as a grower, we feel very different because over that time frame, starting back in 2019, we um, we went through a major expansion contraction. Uh, well, not contraction, consolidation. We were at four separate locations. We combined down to two. But at the same time of that combination, we expanded our propagation facility. We hired uh, 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 some very talented young people as part of our propagation team. And so we uh, feel and are a lot different internally uh, during that five years. And it was right during COVID. So there was the supply chain issues and all that sort of stuff. So that was that created its own challenges. But looking back now, I'm really glad we did it for the very reasons that you just mentioned about just how uh, how things have changed. With a market, uh, um, I think, I th- as a matter of fact, I think, Fran, you and I had this conversation not too long ago, which is the demand curve has gone exponential. For anybody that's listening, you're not going to be able to see it, but I have this, my my palm is going for the last 34 years. It's been a nice steady trajectory of a forward rise for us. But within the last five years, maybe maybe six, whatever. But um, that curve has gone up exponentially, and I, I feel like that's a combination of several things. For uh, uh, those of us in the wholesale that are uh, sometimes dealing with large contracts, uh, the amount of money that's out on the street right now from the federal uh, entities with um, the infrastructure money and the sustainability money that's out, this is millions and millions and millions of dollars that's all hitting the street it needs to be spent a certain amount of time. But the I also call it then the, the talent effect, if you will. It's a perfect, uh, and the pollinators, uh, the, the focus on pollinators, Doug Tallamy's books, and also just 30 years of promotion of native plants and their benefit into the, the wildlife and the birds and the bees and all that stuff. So I think it all kinds that comes together to create a perfect storm of really significant demand for native plants. I love that answer. How about how about you, John? I mean, I know you're more of a new business owner, but you've been doing this for a long time. So you've sure. you've had you've had to work for someone, and then now you're you're you own your own business. How have you seen things change? Yeah, certainly. I think Jim touched on a lot of things that I was thinking about. But you know, to to take it back to as a new business owner, so this is my sixth year um, owning Kind Earth Growers, and being a young company and having just a list of straight species natives to offer um, there's just, there has been a a very strong increase in trajectory of growth and demand. That has been uh, something we had to rise to the occasion for, you know um, yes, I've, I've had been growing for, you know, for 25, actually now 26 years, but you know, in, in the, in my early stages of 98, 99, early two thousands there was always been a very steady demand for, Specifically, we were growing uh, native aquatic plants for for stormwater management and you know pond plantings and things. It was always very steady, you know. But it just since COVID, since the, the dawn of COVID, and more people, the Talamy effect, uh, smaller community groups wanting to do um, you know meadow lawn transformations, etc. The the demand has grown. I mean, each year almost you know 25 percent, and it's been uh, it's been a lot to handle. It's been a lot to deal with. Can, that's a good problem. It, it's a good it problem. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, Donna, I would imagine selling more retail, COVID affected your business differently than maybe it affected us as as wholesale nurseries. 
Um, how have you seen the change at Bowman's? I know how many plants you moved last year, and and that right. blows my mind through the, the space that you're using to, to sell those plants. Right. So since I started in 2020, which was right before uh, COVID, uh, we've probably increased the number of plants we've sold by upward of 70%. So that's we're almost doubled the amount of plants that we've sold in the wow. nursery. The limiting factor is our nursery, which is less than uh, it's less than a half an acre, and so we're just our four-inch pots. We're max out at about thirty-five thousand a year that we can produce, but the, the demand is there. In some respects, uh, we don't have the benefit of that those that federal money or government money or even business. Sometimes businesses would buy retail, but they would not necessarily buy from us. So what we see a little bit more is convincing the homeowner. You know, sort of that backyard native, uh, the backyard uh, national park, <laughs> you know, the, to move away from the ornamental plantings and embrace. Um, natives there's still some resistance on the at the retail level and a lot of education goes into um, bringing people along and and correct me if i'm wrong this is what amazes me with the amount of material you move retail because Mm -hmm. bowman's hill wildflower preserve is member driven where you it's it's a paid entry people are paying technically to get in to buy plants from you they're not just able to walk in and buy plants no, they, what they can do, there's a, there's a, uh, if you come in to buy plants, you can have your, uh, oh, okay. you can have your re, um, admission. Refund. Okay. All right. Well, that's great to know. So if anyone's yeah. listening oh, yeah. and you were curious about that, that, that gives you a way to get in to get plants. Yeah. Tom, so, I'm going to ask you. Fran, I'm going to ask you first right. as our Sultan of sales. <laughs> I'm going to ask you that question. What has changed? Uh, what have changes have you seen over the last five years? I think it's changed a lot. You know, having been here almost 17 years, I've seen a lot of changes and, you know, 15 years ago, our customers didn't necessarily know what a rain garden was, and I think that's pretty common knowledge now. And you you have – like Jim mentioned Doug Tallamy. You have Heather Holm. You have Benjamin Vote, You have Robin Wall Kimmerer who are all making this movement possible. So where our industry is a wholesale nursery was job-driven, which it still is, we're finding people – people finding a way to do business with us. In other respects, we're doing a lot with nonprofits, which are working with schools and communities, and it's it's a much different feel and a dust um, a much different. Uh, it, it, it's 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 moving in a in a different direction. Like I I can honestly say, like maybe ten years ago, our our customers because it was job driven. Not every customer was knowledgeable of what we were trying to do or. Or ecology based. It was contractors that had a native planting. That's changed, I feel, to a lot of respect to where there's people that live this movement and feel this movement. Not not everyone, but it's it's a little more than just it's a job to do. It, mm-hmm. it that's kind of going by the wayside a little bit. I don't know how do how do Jim and and John how do you feel about that? Do you feel the same way? I would say certainly. Um, you know, being job driven, uh, we just thinking about a customer base. Like we we have we do have our larger scale customers that are job driven. You know, whether it be a contractor that's doing a number of detention basins or bioswales, what have you. But the the 
lower half of our customer base, right? Those you know, those smaller groups, like you just said, Brian, like the the community organizations, the schools, um, you know, some HOAs that just want to get something in the ground. That that those people, and not to mention also the ecological gardening or ecological landscape um, uh, faction of, of of native plants and in, in this this movement has significantly grown. You know, there's more and more, you know two, three, four, four person companies out there catering to homeowners who want to convert, who want to, you know, even if it's not fully native landscape, their, their homes, they're at least adding certain sections to their homes that, that are, that are growing. So it is nice to have that, um, that padding, right. That the padding as the movement continues to rise. It's, it's like a rising tide. So I, I agree. Tom. Oh, sorry, Jim, go ahead. I apologize. No, that's okay. Actually, I, I wouldn't add much. I think you guys already hit it. Um, yeah, I, I, the difference is the education of the audience. And, and, and I, I, I kind of comp it as the, the retail audience. You know, we might not sell directly to retailers. As a matter of fact, we do everything we can to help promote retailers, but we do sell to them. And so when we're doing that, we're obviously thinking of their end user. And that end user is much more educated. They're coming specifically for something. And they understand the layering effect of these plants, the environmental benefits. Um, the aesthetic is different. And, and that's where I think, you know, that's where we get into, you know, how much education you have to provide. There's a certain a look that people want and are used to, and, and it, you have to change that. Uh, but the the thing is, is they are much more educated and they're coming functionally for what is being offered. Um, so that's, yeah, basically just building upon what you guys already said. No, I mean, you see, you see organizations like Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve doing uh, Thursday night talks, and a lot of them are native plant-oriented Um you see that shift. There's a paradigm shift where it was – you would hear growers say there's no money in natives to now they're seeing it as more of an opportunity, mm-hmm. and that's encouraging. Now, Tom, you you had – I don't know. I was going to say you had the luxury, but you grew up on a native plant nursery, yeah. and you've seen the whole evolution of Pinelands Nursery. I guess you could say that. Yeah. I didn't the- really know what was going on for a long time. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Well, how how do you feel like you've you've been here ten years now? How mm-hmm. like involved in the business? How do you feel that has changed? Yeah, I, I really liked a lot of the comments you had, Fran. Is there's a it went from a large portion of our customer base buying these because they had to, yeah, and now you have people buying them because they want to. I guess is the succinct way to say it. And um, but it's becoming increasingly more popular with uh, mainstream horticulture, I guess is the way I like to put it, uh, because they're seeing increased demand from their clients, uh, whether the garden centers or landscapers, all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's new markets that are emerging. uh, And I don't, I've even looked, okay, it's been over the last five years, what's changed. And then you look at what's going to change in the next five, 10 years. I don't know how that's going to switch back. Um, and taste will kind of go away because it's one of those things in my mind where people are learning some of the issues you'd have with planting non-native plants or invasive plants or the benefits you have over planting a native plant over a non-native plant, and you can't unlearn that. No, I guess oh, generationally you can, but not in a short period of time. Well, that's I don't want to jump too far ahead because yeah. that's a question I have a little further down the road. Um. I think what this newfound awareness has afforded us, and I'm curious everyone else's thoughts. 
I think back in the day, like myself, having come from an ornamental hort, you, you have an industry that's much larger than the native plant side of the business that is able to, you know, it, it was, you know, I think a lot of native growers were considered backyard growers. You, you, you go back or like I can't tell you to this day how many people are surprised when they come to the nursery and say, oh, I wasn't expecting this because they're they're thinking like uh, a little little bit of a hippie operation in the back. Like there's not much going on. But I think this growing awareness has allowed us to catch up to ornamental hoard a little bit and embrace some technology. What what type of things are are each of you doing to kind of take your nursery to the next step? Ahead, Jim. And it can be practices. Um, it doesn't have to just be technology. It can be what, yeah. like how are your practices changed as well? Well, I, I think you, everybody, whether you're traditional, what we'll call traditional ornamental horticulture versus native, I, I don't think we can get away from the business realities, which is labor is a, is a driving factor. And it's increasingly harder to find uh, good, skilled, qualified labor that can do this work. Um, and uh, that's a common theme across, you know, both sections of horticulture here. So, um, you know, you've got to look then to the technology of automation. And uh, some some parts of this industry do it exceptionally well when you go to Holland and see what they do and stuff. But we're not there yet uh, in this country. Uh, we're getting there, and I think we're going to have to invest more heavily in that. We're certainly watching those sort of trends. Always interested to see what other growers are doing in that area. But um, we certainly added some of those uh, elements into our expansion and the propagation, the technique, the tech that goes with that. Just controlling those microclimates within the green industry, uh, within the greenhouses. Um, using IPM and uh, anything that we can with regard to natural controls for breakouts of aphids and things like that. So those aren't, I wouldn't say they're new, um, but certainly embracing them and uh, pulling them into the way we do things. Um, the other thing is just we're, we're about to explore into a whole new software, uh, both for our own internal nursery management, which is going to be a huge efficiency savings. Again, comes back down to labor. Can you do more with less with uh, technology and efficiency there, but also the customer experience? Um, you know, we're finally going to be able to have real-time inventory. Uh, people will be able to go into a, a, access our data place their own orders it will uh, you know so our inventory will be live people will be able to monitor much more of what they do on their own which takes us out of the equation other than to you know stay in communication with them obviously so those are just a couple of areas that that we're looking at and doing actively awesome Mm -hmm. donna let's let's shoot to you from a retail standpoint i know you're limited with what you can do like it's it's space isn't necessarily more space isn't necessarily a, a luxury that you have that would be it would be difficult we're, you know we, it's about we have about one and a half uh, full-time equivalents running um, and managing the nursery so but what we do have is we have just really dedicated volunteers and we've implemented a, a training program which has been great we have a kind of a team-based approach to production now so that our um, volunteers come every Tuesday every Wednesday every Thursday whatever whatever day they come and they're on the same team. And um, there's a lot of, um, we found, when I started, I, I thought it was very important to make sure that the uh, quality control uh, was just top notch because when a customer comes to the sales floor, they definitely want to see a plant that's 
you know, that just looks good. I mean, it's the retail business. So you, so it was, we were lucky that we had volunteers that were just so dedicated to the preserve and are willing to just sort of be part of the mission to get plants out that are really awesome and that customers want to buy. On the other hand, we've, you know, we would love to put some technology in, even if it's simple as a dose of Tron on a timer, <laughs> but it's expensive. Those things are very expensive and, you know, we are a uh, nonprofit, so we have to be uh, careful. But uh, planning is our, planning is the big thing for us. We, if we plan well <clears throat> and we stage our production and we make sure that all of our um uh, volunteers work along with us, we uh, we can produce at the maximum capacity of the nursery. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. John, now being a herbaceous grower and growing a lot of things in flats, turn is a big a, a big part of any business the, because the more plants Mass- you grow, the, the, the more good you can do. So what, what are some of the things that you've embraced to try to improve your turn? Sure. So um, <clears throat> three years ago, we, we put in, and it, it's not new technology, but three years ago, we put in underbench heating. So we could actually grow, slow grow in the wintertime and then rapidly ramp things up in the spring and then just extend our season. Um, <clears throat> the turn is the biggest thing, friend. You're absolutely right. I mean, if I have a flat sitting on the bench or a group of flats sitting on the bench longer than, you know, two weeks past finish date, I'm limited in what I can potentially, my, my potential, right? It's It's limited massively. Um, one of the things that we challenge ourselves here to do between all of us as growers is to, you know, to eliminate all losses on the bench. And we're never all going to do that 100%. But when I look around the nursery this year, specifically after we implemented a, a biological control agent uh, program, a fully BCA, um, using a lot of things like trichoderma, which is root shield, and, um, you know, botanigard, which is a uh, uh, helping to you know build plant health and and take care of problems before they actually arise. Um, I can look around and comfortably say like we're looking at ninety two percent maybe on the bench, which right. makes me feel really good. Which means Great. that when we go to pull orders, we're no longer spending time patching. So for us as as a young company and limit, limited budget for new technologies, it's really about increasing our efficiencies as growers and you know, achieving that perfect plant so that we all have less of the busy work, you know, going through and patching flats. Now, as you say, friend, like a, a flat of 50, um, you want 50 perfect plants in there and the customer expects 50 perfect plants. And if there's, you know, three or four that's lackluster in that flat, it takes time to dig them out and put new ones in. So um, for us, it's been, you know, increased efficiency through our processes from the beginning. You know, I like to say that the sins of all propagation begin at the seed level. So, in our in our true seed house, we're doing all the right things in there. This way, we know that plant when it by the time it goes into a fifty is is gonna it's gonna kick butt. Yeah, and you're you're growing things from seed too, and that's one thing that none of us had, had really touched on because we're not just doing straight species; we're all doing uh, local provenance mm-hmm. plant material too. A lot of us are collecting our own seeds and propagating them uh, and mm-hmm. growing them on. One thing I'm gonna. I'm going to ask Tom, but I'm, I want to go back to this and mention it. One of the things that Donna mentioned and then you just mentioned, John, is quality. And mm-hmm. I don't want to forget that. I've written it down. I, but I, I'm afraid if I, I go that, we're going to go in a different direction. So I want to go to Tom first and talk about some of the things that you feel that we've done to embrace technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, now you're speaking my language, Frank. This is, <laughs> this is my big role. 
I, and I know you, I think a lot you feel very strongly about yeah. making us recession proof, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and labor is an issue and, and you want to automate things. And they're talking about the, the next big recession coming in mm-hmm. possibly 2030. And, and you've taken this very seriously. So what are some of the things that you've been looking at? Yeah, a, a lot of the concept there is just to you when your times are good is when you need to spend money on your business. And um, so that's what we've been trying to do, because then when things are bad, you need to like slim down. And, and if you don't have those uh, efficiencies built in, then you're you're done for um, Some of it was just really looking at our this year was looking at our shipping and trying to find ways that we can do uh, our shipping and get plants out the door a lot more efficient. If you actually look at labor breakdowns, uh, on average, about 25% of your cost is on planting, 25% is on maintenance, 50% is usually on shipping. In that neighborhood, maybe it's 40, maybe even it's 35. The majority of your your labor expense is on shipping, and then the, the cost of having people there is what you're paying most of your money to. Um, if you're like 40, 50% in a lot of cases. Um, so yeah, we were just looking at shipping and saying, how can we make this an eight person job for half an hour or an hour into a two person job? And that's Mm -hmm. adding in racking and different kinds of trailers and forklifts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's one of the big pushes this year. Um, there's a lot of things for like little simple tasks, like taping boxes shut and, uh, some big expensive machines for simple tasks, like putting rice hulls on top, which we've talked about before. Rice hulls will help with the weed control, but uh, you can spend $35,000 on a machine that'll do it for you, but it's a lot more uniform and you get that quality control coming out that you know everything's going to be the same. Um, We also look at lights and this is one I want to touch on and we're kind of, I'm on the fence about doing it right now because like John had said, we want to extend our season and heat is part of the equation. The other, a lot of things with uh, with plants, it's the photo period in addition to the temperature. So it's not just temperature. And if you have one, you can get things going. But if you don't have the other one, it's never going to really pick up that fast. So we have the heat. We're looking at lights. The issue I'm running into is uh, when it comes to native plants, not many people know what the light requirements actually are. So... I'm talking to the light technicians. They have no clue. I'm talking to other nurseries. They're well, we don't really mess around with it. Or if we just had them and we don't, we'd turn them on and off, but we don't know what the actual ideal like micromoles would be. Um, and uh, where if you look at poinsettias, that kind of stuff, they, you know exactly what you need. It's been studied and studied and studied over. So, and that doesn't happen with, with native plants. So it's a, uh, and the reason why it's been bugging me and I'm on the fence is because if it's one recipe uh, it versus the other, it's about like twice the cost <laughs> on how, and twice, well, twice as many lights too. So that's a big one yeah. for this year is, is lights. We're also looking at, at inside efficiencies too and looking at different softwares that help us do jobs faster. Um, a lot of stuff gets expensive when you really look at it. It's a, a big expense up front, um, mm-hmm. but you're – you have to project what your long-term savings on it would be. Yeah, now that and, – and you mentioned quality as well. One of yeah. the things I, – I, I kind of feel like in our industry, it's it's a double standard. Like when it comes to efficiencies like that, we get held to the same standards as ornamental nurseries. They want their shipments in a timely manner. They want so many things. But I feel that we get held to a different standard like 
neonics is a must for our no neonics is a must for our end of the industry where maybe the other end they can get mm-hmm. away with a little bit they're not as questioned as much i know that's changing but mm-hmm. uh donna mentioned quality and for the longest time people thought oh native plants are unruly they're not good looking but that's not what people expect and that's not necessarily true and that's not what people expect when they come to the garden center they want to see a plant like they would see in a in a traditional garden center mm-hmm. so what do we need to do as an industry to help push this movement forward? Like we're we're all working on quality. We're all working to to improve our efficiencies. What's the next step for us moving forward towards that next five years? Jim, you're smiling, so I'm I'm calling you out. I, I'm laughing because I'm sitting here thinking nothing. Don't don't do anything else. We can't keep up with it. Well, that's yeah, a de- yeah. de- demand. <laughs> is- it's a legitimate. It's a legitimate point. I mean, like I, I think all of us would be able to just say, "Hey, demand is just absolutely outpacing supply," and it's it's not just for us. It's across this country. It's across the globe. You know, for what the 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 big thinkers think, we need you know how many billions of trees across this globe, and the, the, the supply is not there. The infrastructure, human or otherwise, is not there to meet that sort of large, massive landscape scale, uh, what, what's being called for, to save, you know, to save the planet, right? But um, so, yeah, I'm chuckling because I'm like, you know, to Donna's point, it's about how do you make sure that you just simply create all these efficiencies that you talked about, to make sure that you are armed with nothing but good plants in every single square footage of the space that you have available to you. And even at that, even if you're really successful at that, which we all know they're plants, they die. You know, something's not going to go well. You're going to have a hole somewhere. So even if you do all that well, you're still not going to touch this demand. So I, I was laughing because I'm like, wow, you know, we could do it all right and, and you know, combined, there's still more out there. But so that's why I was laughing about we don't have to really push because the push is already occurring. Um, that's my first – that's what was my first reaction. All right, well, I'm, before I throw it to, to John and Donna, you know, you, you have a very valid point. And you and I just talked about this a, a week ago with demand. With, with some organizations or some people, you may only get one chance, you know, yeah. and, and as you move this – you know, some people are are very aware of native plants and and what they accomplish and what they do for our ecosystem and the food web, and they're in. But some of these, some people that are being steered in that direction aren't convinced. And if you don't, if if you don't satisfy them that first time, you may not get another chance. Mm-hmm. And demand is enough that you know. In the seventeen years I've been in this end of the industry, our competition has tripled, but we're all experiencing growth. So it just shows yeah. that there's not enough. And we talked about jobs. There's a couple jobs out there. Like there's three that are all very similar that I know we couldn't even supply one fully. Right. But all three are talking to you. Can you do it? And they all think that each of us can supply maybe one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not, you know, if if the contractor that wins those jobs comes to you, then you get all three. You can't, you, there's going to be people that are disappointed. Even though we've been communicating down the road, so I, I I know communication is is a big part of this. Uh, Donna, how do you feel about moving forward and what what you need to do and, and your clientele of, as they come in? So I think it is a little different for the retail uh, sort of the uh, 
some folks are working in their own properties on this kind of retail um, uh, market. <laughs> what we come up against a lot of the time is that there are people who want native plants, but don't differentiate between, uh, say, a straight species and a and a cultivar. Uh, and then you have nurseries that don't care, <laughs> and they say they have a native plant, but it's a pink goldenrod. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, um, so but I think what I'm trying to say is that there's first, to move forward, there has to be, in my mind, some sort of standardized way of talking about what we produce and sell. What, what percentage of it can be cultivar? What does a cultivar mean? What's a native plant mean? Uh, I think a lot of that, um, especially on the retail side, baffles our customers somewhat because we'll say, you know, we have all straight species, but when we offer hollies as, as a you know, cultivar of holly, because that's how you know whether it's a female or not. They're like, I thought you only had straight species. And like, well, you can go get that straight species. It's over there. We have the straight one for you. But this is if you want berries, you know, we, we, you know, you get the cultivar. So I I think that I struggle with that because I see that there's, there's an opportunity for education for customers and then there's also uh, an opportunity to maybe not play it straight if you're in uh, the ornamental business. Mm-hmm. Um, and even and here's another thing. I, this is a this is just a funny story. I had called a nursery that I know does straight. They do they do straight species. They they have cultivars. I needed some big cornus florida for um, for some for something as a preserve. And so I called to find out if they had it and. The answer on the other front, I said, do you have straight species corn slurred? And the answer was, yeah, I have four different kinds. <laughs> so, so there's, it's a little bit of educating that needs to be done in the industry as well. Well, the, yeah. the and I don't know how known this is, but not about my past, but an experience that I had in the past was when I worked at Princeton Nurseries, which I was at for nine years, I started there doing all the plant purchasing uh, for uh, resale and brokerage division. And I would visit nurseries and they would show me a block of trees and they go, these are all Acer rubrum. And I go, okay. And then they go, well, they're really October glory, but I can't sell them as October glory because it's a patent. And I propagated them, you know, without the patent. (laughs) And then I'm like, well, you know, first we have the patent, right? (laughs) You know, and they're, oh, oh, but it was a lot of that which comes out of the trade as straight species isn't straight species because they're getting away with how they propagated the plant material. So even that can be cloudy and I, I find it's really important for you if you if you're if you're very feel strongly about straight species, know the people you're buying from, trust them. You want to buy from people that you trust and you can only do that by Going to the nursery and, and looking at it and talking to the people that work there or own it. So, John, I'm sorry, I wanted to throw it back to yeah. you. No, not at all, because you guys raised a bunch of good points that um, I wasn't even going to talk about. But since they're up there, um, I was I was had a conversation with uh, a couple of folks this past year when I was at Perennial Plant Association, and we of course were talking about the idea of you know, what is native. Um, you know, cultiv- the word cultivar came up a couple times, and then it got down to even further. We started talking about the idea of what is local genotype. Right now, we have customers at Kind Earth. We 
we sell, yes, um, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Maryland, but we also have customers in, um, you know, Wisconsin, um, Ohio, and 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 for so on and so forth. And what Donna said is so correct. There's such an opportunity for education because as native plant growers in a gigantic world of ornamental hort, if you think about it like a pizza, you know, you get eight slices out of a slice of pizza, out of a pie of pizza. But if you cut one of those slices in half and then cut another slice, that other slice in half, that's really what our share of pie is as native plant growers in this larger context of horticulture. But yet in that small context, in that small pie, we're all still debating on whether or not it's native. How native is it? Is it local ecotype? Where's your seed from? Oh my God, is it from this county? So I think as an industry-wide, as a native plant industry, it would be to our benefit to have... um, unified messaging, right, as to what it actually is that we do um, and, and what is local and, and does it matter, right? You know, are we talking about eco-regions? Are we talking about sea transfer zones? You know, or are we talking about political boundaries, which a lot of customers and, you know, I'm thinking New York City has, a, they have a, just a random circle around New York and say it has to be within this radius. So there's that. And then to, to bring it back to the, the idea of quality and being held to, you um, we are held to certain standards and obviously neonics and different pesticides are, you know, are, are frowned upon because we are technically growing plants for insects, for birds and for the ecosystem. Um, but also within this too, there's like, is it restoration grade or is it, you know, am I going to sell this to a, a, a re-wholesaler who's going to pot it up? You know, what do they expect? So, there's subtle nuances, right? And do I pick some restoration grade stuff that goes to certain, you know, customers for certain projects? Yeah. You know, they're not, we don't sell bad plants, you know, they're all good. So, but do I pick maybe something that's a little bit fancier that, you know, can go to somebody that's going to pot it up and they're going to be able to sell it immediately? Yes. So, you know, it's how do we navigate those nuances and how do we have a uniform message to, you know, take it and actually to push this movement further and grab more slices of pizza because I love pizza. (laughs) well i'm i'm gonna throw this to tom this we're but we're going to come back to this because this is a perfect segue uh to my next question but you're you're really you're right because not every customer is created equal not every customer has the same cares or wants so yeah we have local provenance material grown from seed that we've collected ourselves that's great but we also have customers from oklahoma buying that same seed because they don't care um, and not every customer has that same you know you may have it down to a customer that's like it's got to be within this county the the, the genotype or it's got to be this eco region and I agree like I've had those conversations with other growers and some it's too broad and some it's too narrow um, and that that makes it difficult Tom what do you what do you think as far as this is a conversation that yeah. we've oh, had yeah. <laughs> but you can you can also tie into to where we need to to be. Or to push the, the industry forward as well. As far as a, a quality standpoint or a or messaging just, standpoint, I mean, it could be a, it could be all of yeah. the above. From a, a quality standpoint, yeah, I think it's general. The general public definitely has an expectation. Other nurseries have an expectation, and I think overall, uh, as far as like restoration native plant nurseries go, it's we're growing for a different purpose. So, what's a high quality plant to our general customer doesn't often over, I shouldn't say doesn't often overlap, sometimes doesn't overlap with what another nursery will consider 
a high quality plant or not. I've I've toured uh, some a lot of different nursery people around our nurseries, and there's people who look at the same plant and say, "Oh man, that's the best one of those I've seen." And then someone else is like, "Do you sell them like that?" <laughs> over this, like literally over the same plant, and um, and yeah, so it's uh, I think everyone should be trying to make their stuff a little bit better, but just with the nature of what our market is, like John said, like Jim said, like Donna said, we have, there's sacrifices we have to make for the ecological function of that plant too. And it's true. And, and, and John kind of hinted on that a little bit. Like we don't sell any bad plants, but if if you're selling small woody plants that are going to a large restoration that are Mm -hmm. never, ever going to be pruned ever again, you don't want to take a heavenly prune plant and have it go out and, and grow out of it awkwardly. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure it's healthy. You want to make sure it's true to name. You yep. want to make sure that it's the uh, correct ecotype. So there's different – the problem is we're servicing so many different markets as this expands. It's not all <laughs> It's not all going mm-hmm. in one direction. It's fanning out to multiple directions. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the segue I wanted to make earlier when John was talking about there's got to be some kind of unified message. Yeah. Now what I love is we're we're all everyone here is friends, but technically we're all competition as well. How important is it for us as native plant growers to communicate together? Jim, you want to yeah. go? I, I like throwing. I, I can go. You, I've, been, I've been going. Yeah, yeah. somebody else. Goes yeah, I, I think it's really important, and um, because I do think we need to have a unified message. And uh, and John, I really liked what you were saying because. It's and it happens in so many uh, different circles. Any although like any niche circle kind of has their thing. Well, we want to get more people in, but we're so busy arguing with ourselves over what's perfect that we don't like. We get in our own way. Um, yeah. I've seen it in a whole you're bunch just of different say you like because you like pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. We 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 spend so much time arguing over what's right that. We kind of get in our own way. We should be talking to the people outside of our slice of pizza, not the ones that are in our slice of pizza, right? Um, yeah, we. but I don't know what that unified message is. I don't know if we could ever come up with one because we're just so busy trying to figure out what lo- local ecotype means, what native plant actually means. Um, mm-hmm. We were all on a, another call about a month ago, and that was one of the things that came up was like, well, how do we define it? It's like what, and then what definition we use, and then you're always going to have people upset over the definition. But uh, yeah, we kind of need to get on the same page because the general public and all these big, bigger horticulture is interested now, and we need to make sure we're in control of the message, not it doesn't get corrupted because yeah. we're busy arguing with each other. Uh, I agree, and it's yeah. we're having that conversation, but at the same time, we're all having a different conversation about what's invasive. And, oh yeah, and what yeah. should we ban? So it's, you know, we all get to communicate on that. Who would like to expand on what Tom was saying, or anyone had a, a different thought? Frank, can I, I ask you what your me. thought is? What my thought yeah, is? Yeah, I want to know your thought on on that question. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a tough one for me. Like for it, it there's so much variation. Like I said, like we're you're dealing with. Instead of one customer base, you're dealing with six different customer bases. So there's no one answer. Yeah. There's 10 answers that are right for each customer because mm-hmm. you have where they're going to restorations. You have where they're going to homeowners associations where that that conversation is a little bit different. You have 
where they're going to home gardeners that are just trying to to do a little bit better and introduce be a part of homegrown national park and, and introduce five plants in their backyard. Um, I think I, I, I mentioned it earlier. I think sometimes we do narrow it up too much and yeah. we make it so difficult that no one is going to walk away from the equation happy mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're trying. Like Donna, I would imagine like when you when you make a sale to a first time customer, you want them to go home and be successful. Absolutely. Because yeah. if that plant doesn't live, then they may be soured on buying another native plant. So some of those things are are they putting the plant in the right place? You know, right plant, right place. Are they taking a wetland plant and planting it in a wetland plant? Are they are they giving it the right conditions? There's so many variables that fall out of our reach. Mm-hmm. And we find ourselves saying, if if I had to write a standard operating procedure on on it, I couldn't because yeah. it would be yeah. it would be the size of an encyclopedia. Yeah. So I don't know what that is. Yeah. And one thing I just thought of uh, when I was talking to uh, someone who works with John, um, on John, on your guys' trade show backdrop, it says like seed grown native plants, right? And yep. she was yep. saying, you know, sometimes I wish we never had that on there because I feel like it, <laughs> people, it makes people ask the question and then it gets in the way of them. Now they're thinking about it and it stops them from buying from us instead mm-hmm. of, just if it wasn't there, maybe they would have bought the plants and not even thought about it. And yeah, I, I think the same thing. We, yeah. We've had the yeah. same conversation. The, so John and, and Jim and I were all at a conference in Kent Island, Maryland a, a week ago, and we had the conversation where I had to talk to a, a, a team member that was with me. Don't lead that we're in New Jersey because even though we're only an hour away, it makes a big difference. Like, an hour as the crow flies, but in some people's heads, it was five hours. It was the other part of the country, and it's mm-hmm. it's perception sometimes. Yeah. And even though it it's just so hard to have these conversations, what everyone's on a different level. It's like it's almost like you're a school teacher, but it's a one room schoolhouse, and you have kindergarten through through twelfth grade. Mm-hmm. You're having twelve different conversations throughout yeah. the day, and they're all different, but they're all they're all right. You hope. Didn't Donna, didn't you lead with this that said you've been giving a lot of thought to this messaging? Isn't that what you led in your introduction here, that you've been giving some thought to this or that you said you think we need to give some more thought to this? I think we should give more thought to this. Okay. And it's, it's a multifaceted, as you can tell, just on the native plant side itself, it's a multifaceted issue. But then if you add in all the other stakeholders in this, because what we're really trying to do is support native ecosystems, the environment. I mean, I believe that's the goal. But if you think about all the other stakeholders that are involved besides the native plant people, there are the birders, there are the, um, you know, homeowners, there are um, uh, the insect, the folks who want, or really, are really supporting insects. There are just so many different people in the same space wanting to get the message out and the overarching message I think we all agree on it's how do we make that so that it's clear and simple and coherent so we can convince or or, you know or somehow persuade other people who are not necessarily bought into the native plant uh, idea that they should try it Uh, and so (laughs) I don't have a message but I know the overarching message is the one that we we use a lot when we educate our customers on the sales floor because they want to know, like, I'm coming here, I'm coming here because I 
and there we can agree. They want to come, they come to us because they want to support the environment. They want to do something that supports their, their ecosystem. And, and, I, we, and we understand that. And we use a lot of education to make the connection between the native plants, what it is, why it needs to go in a certain place, how they're supposed to use it in their, in their landscape so that they are successful. So they come back and really have a good experience with buying native plants. But it's a one-on-one educational process at this point. Can I add something here, friend? So just being last and listening to all this, two things stand out to me. One, we've proven just by talking about it, that this is a very difficult thing to do, to standardize, to come to consensus on, too many players, same space, all this sort of stuff. The second one is like, so Tom, to your point, yeah, we want to control the message, but you know, let's face it, you can go down to Mance in the trade show mm-hmm. here in January the message has already been changed. Oh, yeah. yeah. The message of the cultivars and stuff like that is already, there's banners of native plants all throughout the Baltimore Convention Center. They're cultivars, nativars, you know, they grow October glories to France. So, but they're natives. So that by their mm-hmm. definition, that's what they are. But, but then I, I sit there and I think we're all sitting here saying there's so much demand out there. Like how, like yeah. each segment is getting their message out. We all can't keep up with this message. So like how really critical is it? It's like, you know, Oklahoma is doing a good job doing Oklahoma talking to those stakeholders for all I know. You know, we're doing a good job, all of us here in the mid-Atlantic. And it's, and it's having, you know, it's having weight. I think one of the things that we get caught up in my mind is we don't look back. I look back at 30 years worth of this. I mean, I yeah. can tell you, this is a vastly different and improved landscape for market, for message, for all this sort of stuff. And, and I think we get so caught up that it, oh, it all has to change in the next five years. Well, yeah, we're dealing with plants that are geologic in nature, mm-hmm. here, folks. Well, no, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that it matters. The, the one thing I appreciate having this conversation is that we do need to talk. Cause one thing that, that flows through and I'm, I'm, Looking at the time, we actually kind of have to wrap this up. This is actually going quickly, but is that our passion and our reasoning for doing this is all consistent, that we're doing this for the love of it, for how we feel about nature and the ecosystem and the food webs and the pollinators and the birds. Let's be honest. How many customers do all of us share together? It's a lot, Mm -hmm. and I feel comfortable when we can't help a customer sending them to any one of you. Because I know we share the same philosophy, and the only way we can do that is by having that conversation. Now that the the uh, there, there's a lot of different tentacles on this that and variables that we can't control, but the main reasoning is there, and that I can trust, and that I feel good about. And I'm hoping that everyone that's that's watching this today and listening to it feels the same way and that you feel the same way about native plants and, mm-hmm. and who you purchase them from and why. And you can see how much we all care having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Now on that, I can't believe we've already talked for 50 minutes. We're going to end it here. We're all going to be available for Q&A as soon as this uh, ends. But this conversation isn't ending. We're going to continue it for the podcast. We're going to lead off when we come back from the break with – what does everyone feel about cultivars? We're going to ask that question, which is a, a loaded weapon. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed our talk here today and tune in tomorrow for the rest of this conversation. Talk to you soon. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery.
Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Okay, we're back. <laughs> How's that for a time warp? All right. <laughs> um, cultivars, that has come up a few times, and uh, we don't really sell most of us, uh, Donna. Do you do you have a few cultivars in the in the garden center, or is it all straight species? We do. You do. As, yeah, as I mentioned, there are certain things that customers demand that they um, are interested in having. They want uh, they want a holly plant that they know they're going to get berries on. So we mm-hmm. give them that option, but we also give them the straight species. And there are people who don't care; they just want to put that in. And if it's got berries, it's great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. So, uh, but we're we. Since I've been there, we've really limited the number of cultivars that uh, that we put out for sale. All right. So I, I think the rest of us, really, there's there's no – very little if no cultivars at all. But I'm sure we all have opinions. Tom, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. What are your thoughts about cultivars? Like I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, well, no, <laughs> I've, I've vocalized my opinion a bunch. Um, I've softened on a lot of cultivars. I think from a from a – uh, general public perspective uh, from a restoration perspective it's like no way it doesn't make any sense even like a say it was a hospital grounds and they're doing they're going to plant a few hundred of something i don't think it's the right choice um from an ecological standpoint from a beauty standpoint yeah it's, it's a toss-up uh but from like a, a home gardener i think it's if you can get your hands on it then i think that's better than a lot of the other alternatives um, you look at what Mount Cube is doing and testing some of these cultivars and really looking at garden worthiness. And, uh, and that's something where you're someone's new native plants, they're going to get three things, five things, one thing and put it in their garden. It's got to work. And that's where I think you get some, some stability on their end. And at the same time, if you were just to take one of our seed grown plants, you've effectively made a selection you just don't know what that selection is until it gets bigger. Um, I mean, because yeah. access is, yeah. is a big part of this. I think, yeah, a lot of it boils down to access and success in a, a home environment where it's not um, – it's there for ecological reasons too, but it's not uh, a population-level ecological reasons. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. All right, John, how about you? What are your thoughts? Of course, um, so – Generally, I agree with Tom 100%. You're doing ecological restoration. You're doing, you know, large-style meadow, you know, habitat creation. Um, 100% straight species, absolutely. Um, the thing about cultivars, though, is there there are a number of cultivars that are actually seed selections, yeah. right? And so, they're, you know, as horticulturalists, we'll select a plant that has certain characteristics that we like and can produce it from seed, but you put a name on it. It becomes a cultivar. I'm thinking like a uh, Mag- Americana Dale strain or right. um, Magnus, Echinacea, Purpurea Magnus, I think is seed. Is a seed cultivar, I, I yeah. And um, Pow Wow Wild Berries, right? They're all seed cultivars. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there's a deeper conversation in what a cultivated oh, yeah. variety actually means, you know, and, you know, if we're talking about a, something that can only be produced in tissue culture, it's identically clonally the same, you know, I actually don't have room for them in my own garden personally, Yeah, but, um, but no, I, I think, uh, yes, yeah, seed diversity, um, you know, it, it all 
the reason being is because uh, through seed and through maximum genetic diversity, you're 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 breeding resilience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's just that's just what I believe. Now, you know, Kind Earth, we have our own founder spots where we have our own seed collection, and then they all do their thing. So, are we effectively making a selection? Absolutely. You know, is are we cultivating varieties that are you know more prolific? Technically, we are. You know, but um. No, it's cultivar- cultivars go. Uh, I, my my stance is softened too. I don't mind seeing a couple of cultivars in the garden because at the end of the day, you know, as a, as an avid gardener myself, it's for pleasure. And um, you know, I, I, as much as I feel the responsibility to to the broader environment, I also want to make sure I'm having a good time doing it. So, you know, a couple of plants that look good don't don't bother me so much. But yeah. I don't think an entire garden full of cultivars is a native plant garden. When, but when you talk about the founder's plot and possible mixing, I, I know there's an article out right now. Spoiler alert, I'm going to use this as my article for the next book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I've already used You've it. You've already at this, used it. Yeah. used it at this point. But I think it's Michigan State where one of the professors had buried seeds in a jar underground and they were going to dig them up. It was 20 jars. They were digging them up every five years and they moved it to every 10 years and every 20 years. So I think – they're digging up bottles of seeds and soil that have been buried over a hundred years, and this, you know, they they just wanted to see the viability over time. Now that this seed has been in the bank for, like, I think they put them in jars, but didn't seal it, put it upside down, so it would be, you know, if there's moisture, moisture's going in. They have the elements, but they can contain them, and they were finding that some of those seeds were crosses between two species that. They didn't know what they didn't have at the time. The technology didn't know that was happening, but they know it's been happening for hundreds of years. So it's that's something that's going to happen naturally anyway. That's where a lot of these cultivars, if it's not created in a lab, they're finding it in nature doing something that mm-hmm. shouldn't happen. Uh, Donna, how do you feel about cultivars? Uh, I actually agree with both John and Tom. Uh, in my own on my own property, there are. Cultivars. <laughs> uh, I think, as the nursery manager for the for native plant preserve, we want to we want to produce and sell as many of the straight species because, and I'm not saying the straight species are necessarily better than a than some of the cultivars, but we can. I just and I think we can assume that it's what evolved in the in the environment. And it's most likely to it must it's likely to have the most benefit to the environment, and that's what our mission is to just get those plants that support the environment out into people's gardens, into just out into uh, beyond the beyond the gates of our of our preserve. So, as a nourishing manager at the preserve, I will not be selling a lot of cultivars because that's not part of our mission. Personally, I'm a little bit less strict about it. All right. That's a great answer. Jim, how about you? I saved you for last. See, I've been making you go first. I, I threw you a bow. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so my, my background, my degree is in landscape architecture and well dating myself, but well before the native plant movement had really uh, gotten significant legs. Um I'm going to make the connection back to the slices of pizza because I happen to like pizza as well. Uh, if seven and a half of the slices are not even part of this discussion, I'm more concerned about the seven and a half slices of pizza not being invasive and problematic. Mm-hmm. I will take a 
native plant idea or, you know, Photinia, Aronia, whichever you want. You know, I mean, Proven Winners is bringing out all these cultivars of natives that are dwarf and all this sort of stuff and the shrubs and the woodies. And you know what? If it's that versus barberry, it's an obvious choice to me. So I have no problem with that. And particularly in the interface between the built and the natural environment. And and I don't want to be the one that judges that. Everybody has a different definition of beauty. If it's doing no harm, it's kind of like the medical you know, community. Do no harm, right, to your patient. Mm-hmm. Do no harm to our earth. Then I'm good. Um, there's there's a lot of non-natives that are perfectly fine out there doing functional values. You know, if you look at what we're trying to do, we're trying to clean the air. We're trying to clean the water. Those trees and those shrubs still mm-hmm. do that. They don't have all the added layers of straight natives necessarily. But, you know, and and there's still some research coming out, a lot yet to be done about like what does feed on cultivars versus straight species only. So I I just think there's just so much out there that we can be doing to prevent things from getting harmed as, as, as a solution to, you know, protecting the things that we're all doing, which is... Uh, you know, straight species. Yeah. I agree with everything you guys said. Ecological, forget it. Get them out of there. There's uh, pre- perfect examples of some of the problems that can occur um, in some of these larger bioswales. I, I, I referenced the I-95, some of these really large rain garden functioning things that are filled with, uh, you know, native plant herbaceous cultivars, non-self-seeding. If they're not successful, you've just got a moonscape of mulch out there and no functional value to what it's actually been designed for. So, um I've got a lot more flexibility with cultivars as long as there's nothing being done to harm the environment. I I think that's great. I think we're we're all on the same page, and I know we've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast. I'm okay with it being a gateway drug. If that's your first experience, as long as it's not something invasive, if that starts your journey and you're successful and gets you thinking about it moving forward – I, I have cultivars on my property. You know, there's there's things I couldn't get straight species, um, and I settled for this because it was close enough for what I was trying to accomplish. And I'm 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 okay with that because I know deep down my mission is is broader than that than those couple plants. And and even though I I planted four cultivars, I planted over a hundred straight species native. So, you know, I I'll take that. But if someone's only buying three plants and all three are are native ours if if you want to say that um i i take that as a win i i really do and it's hopefully they do a little bit more research they're happy with it and that journey will continue forward again like i was saying sometimes you only get one chance with people and and they get tired of hearing it no one no one likes that vegan friend that's constantly berating them telling them what they're doing wrong you know and mm-hmm. if if it's if you can guide them in a gentle, kind way, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Yep. All right. Do we ever see the day where street species outsells cultivars? Do we see it in our lifetime? Anyone? No. No. <laughs> Tom, yeah, Tom's I'm just shaking, shaking my head. I know it's a, a podcast, so that doesn't really come across. <laughs> but – um. Yeah, I, I I would even go further and say, do we see a day when native plants outsell non-native plants? No, really, no. Everyone's saying no. No, the industry's global. You know, yeah. like there's there's plants coming back into the United States that are being grown in Holland and you know elsewhere mm-hmm. offshore that just get flooded back into our market. I mean, we said proven winners earlier. You know, a lot of those plants are the berries coming from offshore, so. 
it's such a big, big industry. Horticulture as a global, um, you know, from a global perspective, and you know, I, I'm reluctant to say we're still cottage industry, but you know, on the scale of things, we kind of are. You know, it it definitely feels that way. I mean, I know like. We're pretty sizable for a native plant nursery, but then you go visit ball horticulture yeah. out in Chicago, and you're like, "Oh wow!" Like yeah. you could fit our yeah. whole nursery. That's what in. I was going to say, Fran. When you said "really," I'm like, "Fran, we both went to ball <laughs> horticulture together," and you're going <laughs> to our our whole nursery would fit in the meadow, the the yeah. strolling meadow in the in the back of the campus. So it's it's <laughs> like it's all relative. It, it is yeah. all relative. So Donna, how how do you feel about that? Uh, I think that there is such a momentum behind uh, introducing new cultivars and there's such an industry behind it. It's, you know, it's like fashion week every week in the cultivar Mm -hmm. business. And I've had landscapers complain that they couldn't replace a dead plant the next year because that cultivar was no longer available because there were new cultivars that didn't look like like the ones they put in to the landscapes. So I think there's it's there's a momentum behind that that's just strong and it's probably yeah. we're not going to overtake it. But gardening goes back for, you know, till the early ages. I mean, Egyptians were gardening and it's like you're everybody likes to create their own nest, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's nest is different. And, you know, to your point, uh, you know, equated to adult beverages. It's like, how many new introductions of IPAs do we need in the craft beer industry, right? Well, that, you're, 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 now you're selecting for label and color appeal. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, seriously, but, we but, don't need more plant cultivars, but we get them whether we want them or not. But that's a perfect example. You can go into any liquor store and the craft beer thing can be 20 cabinets long. And it used to be where you would know most of the the breweries, you don't know 90% of them, and you're looking at a four-pack that's $18, and you're like, I better like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm basing this on other than maybe the type of beer. But it's, it's uh, It tends to be creative branding and a fun name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's what my decisions not. come down to. It's, but if I take that home and I don't like it, I'm probably not oh, yeah. purchasing anything from that brewery unless I go there perfectly. So is, it's... Is, is there an age limit on your podcast? We're talking about adult. You don't you have to be 21 to listen to this podcast. No, no, not at all. We're family Dude, friendly. I, say, I, only, I only buy hyper local IPAs, so <laughs> it limits my. <laughs> I know this is getting ahead Segway of Segue from that, Fran. I am. Yeah. Since. <laughs> You know, speaking of of aging and getting older, and and what we've seen the industry go through and where it's coming, um, where what would you like to see this industry look like when you walk away from it? What not necessarily your impact, but what would you like to see the industry be at the time that you say? And 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 realistically, or any of us really just hanging it up and walking away? I'm sure we'll all be involved in some way, but when you when you sit back and say, I'm done, what are you hoping the landscape is out there? Tom, we go with you. What I'm hoping the landscape yeah. is out there? Um, I think I've mentioned it a couple times that there's more more of these big players in, in uh, just horticulture are interested in native plants. Um, but beyond that, a lot of them are the big black eye 
on uh, on the nursery industry is how much plastic we use. And um, we're not in a place where we can figure out that problem, but it's like places that are much, much bigger than us are trying to figure out. Proven Winners is one where they have a plant-based uh, pot now that they sell some stuff in. So I think as a whole, the nursery industry is trying to become greener and uh, and more uh, more planet-friendly. Um, some people just probably look at what they're growing instead, <laughs> instead of pots and all that kind of stuff first. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, right. I'm seeing happen. I'll, I'll go before I throw anyone else under the bus because I know this is a question I just thought up that no one had any preparation for this. But I would like to see a native plant accessibility not be an issue. I would like someone to be able to walk into whatever store that they purchase plants and at least have some straight species mm-hmm. native plant options regardless of where they're buying from. I would like it just – even if you know it's one shelf in the supermarket – I'm okay with that as long mm-hmm. as that option's there. That's that's hopefully what I would like to see, that mm-hmm. there's a little bit more of a conversation that people can go in and at least everyone that's a part of the conversation is taking it seriously, even just a little bit. Jim, how about you? Well, first, I don't remember that we were talking about getting older. This is how you keep this up. <laughs> well, we talked about <laughs> drinking age. It's just a progression. <laughs> you okay. told me to segue. Um, I'm reaching. But – but both of yours were fantastic, actually. Those, those are those are great. I certainly agree with the use of plastics and and, and exploring that. We we sell some associated products for shelters. That's a very very active conversation going on right now about how do you do diminish those microplastics that we are all contributing to. So I think it's and and so both very good. Um, from the just I, I you said don't take it personal, but on I am on the one hand is like, you know, whenever I hang it up, it's going to be, you know, after millions of plants have gone out into this region, you guys can all speak to that the same way. Um, Donna, you might be, you know, zeroing in on your first million because you're retail, but that will be an admirable goal to be putting, you know, a million local plants out and around the uh, Bowman's Hill. So um, that to me is, is the cool legacy. Uh, Not so much as uh, what, any one individual here did, but collectively, uh, I think that's that I, I can just I could walk away today and know that that would be very cool. Um, but uh, I guess the only other thing would be is that if somebody wants to keep it going and has the ability and sees what we all see and are talking about here, it'd be great if somebody wants to keep this thing going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if somebody wants to be able to step in and take Octorero, whether it remains Octorero or not, it's just the idea of continuing to grow and be in the market, be in the space so that maybe, Fran, your your goal is there, that there's some 10% of a shelf uh, has that, then by all means, I'd love to see that happen. Because unfortunately, this industry, I think I don't think a lot of people understand this, that at a very large level, the pizza is getting smaller. Yeah. We're, we're no longer, you know, we're no longer dominoes you get large, large free. This industry has shrunk exponentially since mm-hmm. back in 2008, the financial and housing crisis market. Growers are leaving. They're not being replicated. They're not entering back into this space. If anything, you could make the argue that maybe the native plant part of this pizza is one of the few bright spots with bringing in and attracting young people. And like you said, there's a lot of growth in this area, and I hope that that continues. The rest of it seems to me more about consolidation. 
labor's not out there. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, people getting and buying out the industry right now. So I, I think it'd be great if we continue to just see more interest from a next gen uh, to keep this all rolling because we're, we're all going to exit at some point. Tom, yeah. I, I can almost see a kind earth Dr. Railroad merger. <laughs> like that's a, that's a perfect fit. John's not doing trees. Like that would be I taking don't know. us back to our roots. Wetland nurseries. We're eighty percent herbaceous aquatic and only twenty percent. It's going back a few years. Uh, all right, John. You're actually yeah. I'd like to um, continue that on what Jim was saying. Like if if you know as as this industry progresses, the native plant portion of this industry progresses. I would love to see the you know, increased social and professional value of what we do recognized, right? So, you know, in recognizing that, build more uh, career-based, like allow allow the younger generation to look at it as a career base and, you know, highly skilled. Because what we all do is very highly skilled. I mean, we're talking about, we all collect our own seed. We, we all figure out germination codes and stratification, you know, to get these things to market. That's a highly skilled you know, trait task to, to undertake. So I think as we increase that, again, that social and, and professional value of what we do um, to the general public, to that next generation, it would be great to see this lead into something bigger, right? So it's a career that, that a younger person could look at and say, yeah, that's what I want to do with my life, you know? I agree. And I think it's heading that way. Like I felt like it moved away from that for a while and now it's heading back in. Jim, you have a lot of great young talent that I saw that you've 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 brought along and, and we see that. We we're we're making some strides. Everyone's making some strides with that next generation coming in. I you know, some some of our uh friendly competitors that aren't on this, I've met some of their staff that they're starting and it just seems it makes me feel good because I can't mm-hmm. remember the last time I've seen this many willing participants coming into with interest in this side of the industry moving forward and and that really makes me feel good it makes me feel good that at least it will continue or it should or it's in capable hands as it continues um donna how about you so i think my um my answer would also be about accessibility a lot of the customers that come to uh our nursery tell us that they come to our nursery because we offer a uh, wide selection of straight species that they can't get anywhere else. And so if some of the native plant nurseries that are out there, and they are out there, um, could take a lesson from maybe making a greater, you know, I know that there's a lot of uh, limitations with labor and that stuff, but to just make a commitment to having a greater selection of native plants so that when somebody shops with you, they can leave with a complete little starter garden or something like that. It seems to be something that customers really, really appreciate. And so if that would, if in five years there were the native plant nurseries that are out there had built out their, their offerings, I think that would be great. I would love that too. It's, I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see with how quickly I feel the industry is changing over the last five years, where we'll be in another five years. Unfortunately, I'll still be a not that old yet. I'll still be a part of it in another five years. Um, so we're getting close to our final question, which is always the same one. But I, I thought it would be fun just to to throw out what everyone's seeing as current native plant trends. You know, and and I can even lead. Like I know for us, we're seeing like uh, the demand of oaks for us has gone down over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Um, 
you know, and a lot of that was driven by restoration in the Pine Barrens, which I, I, I guess it's good that there's less disturbance and less restoration that, that needs to be done. Um, I'll add with Oaks. Yeah. I was talking to a, a non-native nursery the other day, and they said they can't, like, give away an oak yeah. anymore. So, and that's just so us. It's, every, every, so that's outside also, of native it's plants. It's also yeah. issues related yeah. to disease. That's yep. bacterial exactly. scorch. I mean, you know, there's the oaks are suddenly not the mighty oaks that they once were. Exactly. You know, and and for us with with – Beach disease, yeah. With beach disease, we've we've just recently taken that out of our production mix. But I have, I have faith that maybe in the next five years we get ash back. Um, that we're making strides on that. So it's it's always a, a give and take a little bit. You just don't want to lose too much of that palate. What are some of the trends that you're seeing on on your end? Over the last year, um, with the, the release of the um, sedge trial report out of Mount Cuba, we've seen a great interest in in uh, sedges. You know, for even even through some of our retail partners, um, and that's I think driven you know for planting under oaks or in, in dry shade, but then also out in the full sun as lawn replacements. And I think as more of the messaging comes out through you know big media spots like New York Times, Washington Post. Um, Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, um, like people are realizing that, like, yeah, we we want some lawn alternatives. So I see, um, you know, native ground covers, you know, things that they can handle sun and shade, and 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 taking off from there. I see that as a, as a trend that's that's becoming more and more prevalent in our industry. It it makes me feel good that when you talk to people in our industry that sell herbaceous, most of every you know, Carrick's Pennsylvania is is a top three or top five for most herbaceous growers, and it's. I mean that says something for the size of some of these nurseries, the amount of Carrick's Pennsylvania that's going out is maybe a long alternative. So that is that is nice to see. Uh, Don, how about retail-wise? What what kind of trends are you seeing? There's a huge demand for uh, these kind of ra- rare uh, spring ephemerals. Some, think of trillium, uh, uh, bluebells, any of those spring ephemerals that get – probably taken out by deer in most people's yards or whatever. We have them on our preserve and they are just such a draw for people and people want them so badly. But I have a very hard time sourcing the material to grow those out. And they do take a long time, but I would love to be able to find a source of those plants because the demand is there. That's an opportunity for someone. Tom, what were you saying the conference you were at that, the length of time it takes to produce a saleable trillion. Oh, this was a while ago. Yeah, there was um, yeah, there was a, a person <laughs> who was talking about trilliums and like I I don't understand why I can't find any of these nurseries. None of them grow trillium, and then and went on and said, well, yeah, trilliums are really interesting plant because it takes seven years to grow them from seed. <laughs> and I was like, well, you kind of answered your your question yeah. there because in that same footprint we could grow a multitude of different things that we could flip. Uh, like for herbaceous material, you could flip two, three times a year. So unless you could have a customer that's willing to pay, what would that be, 14 to 21 times the cost of a single plant for a trillium versus what you're growing there elsewise. And maybe at at the time of the year where there's nothing but soil uh, at at that time too. It's difficult. But I agree. Ephemerals, I love ephemerals. And in the spring, I'm, I'm always out on the hunt looking just and I get so excited when when I see them in a place where maybe I didn't expect them, but that's definitely lacking. But I understand why as well. Jim, how about you? 
Uh, I would tag team back to Donna's comment about diversity. I think that's what we certainly see. And it goes back all the way about just the, <clears throat> the amount of people and in, in the diversity in the space and who wants what. And, uh, and I, I don't even necessarily uh, think this is divided by retail uh, slash in conservation. Um, we see increased requests for a lot more diversity across all Woody segments of our customer base. And we're, we're actively looking to try to help fill some of that void. Uh, as we look ahead, we're looking at diversity of species in our mix. Um, I, you know, to Donna's point, uh, you know, we are primarily uh, a restoration based conservation, reforestation, whatever you want to call us nursery. And that's where, uh, you know, probably a good 80% of our plants ultimately end up. But I can see where that mix could start to shift more towards uh, a diverse group because you can look back at our catalog from 30 years ago and I would say 65% of it is the same plants that we're growing today 30 years later because it's that mix of wooded, you know, uh, water quality improving woody plants of the mid-Atlantic. Um, and that's, that's there and it's, it's always going to be there, but I, uh, we're, we're really excited about, uh, what we're starting to do. And I've got, you know, some of these young people are head propagator, Kevin and Rihanna, and some of these new people are hired. They're, they're all really super excited about this. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that, that creates excitement there too. So Donna, hang tight. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, you get to go. Yeah. Uh, one that I've seen that hasn't been touched on. I've seen a lot of the other stuff you guys have talked about as well is, um, is, native plant edibles oh so your pawpaws are like having this big resurgence right now um i don't know how long lasting it's going to be but it's uh there's a lot of people and it goes beyond like your your generic stuff like blueberries and persimmons and pawpaws like i mentioned but um even stuff like allium uh cernuum where i guess you can it's mildly toxic but people will eat it and there's all stuff like that that people are really getting interested in um, we're seeing companies kind of based on that. Even like we have a, a newer customer that that's his whole uh, uh, business model mm-hmm. is yeah. is foraging and edibles. Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say it's crossing into the foraging. Yes. Of yep. The industry yep. and yeah. permaculture, all that included. So what one trend that I want I wanted to see if anyone would mention it. We're seeing it as part of our new customer base are influencers in the native plant mm-hmm. field that mm-hmm. that there's definitely it's amazing how much business some of these people are doing just strictly as being an influencer and moving native plant material themselves um mm-hmm. which i thought was very interesting and didn't expect it but it's it's quite quite fascinating actually to me <laughs> i think with your podcast too you guys are, are teed up very well for that uh, connectivity also. Um, so I'm not surprised that you see, I mean, you know, I'm influenced by the weather in the morning, not, (laughs) (laughs) but even, even with the podcast, we, when we started, there were, there was a native plant podcast and there was, um, in defense of plants, which Mm -hmm. isn't all natives, but it was more limited. It's definitely, you can, you can go down. A, we we did a best of podcast not that long ago, and it was we ran out of space for ones that we wanted to recommend that we liked. Because especially when you get hit some of those tertiary topics, it was oh yeah, you could you could spend all day doing this listening to to these. So we're just one of the many voices now. We we're just fortunate enough to get in earlier and literally three weeks before COVID. I think that helps us helped us as well. So. 
looking at time, I think we're at our last question. Now, some of you have answered this before. Some of you haven't. You can change your answer. It doesn't have to be the same. Like it's no way – although I haven't wavered on my answer from day one. My favorite plant is still Iris versicolor, my favorite native plant. But we're going to throw it to you. It's the, the last question, the easiest question, and, and at the same time the hardest question. What is your favorite native plant? Donna, since you have never answered that question on this podcast, I'm going to start with you. Eastern red cedar. Oh, very nice. And why why is that your choice? It's just a great plant. It's an evergreen that kind of will grow anywhere. The deer don't tend to hit it. And I just like the way it looks. It's just it's such a versatile plant. As, especially if you see one that the deer didn't like, <laughs> like graze, graze the bottom a little bit. Like I was walking through my development yeah. and saw one that was just I, – I, I need to go back and take a picture because – my wife even asked, she's like, what's that? I'm like, you'll never believe it, but that's an eastern red cedar. It looks be- like – it was just so amazing at full grown and given the space to like – I mean even when they do graze the bottom, the bark is so beautiful. Why not? Very true. Very true. So much so much diversity in that species too. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. too. You know, the needle color can be from bright green to purple and everything in between. Right. So that's one of the most diverse species out there. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Jim. Since you're talking, I don't even remember what you said. Do you remember what your choice yeah, I was? was? Going to say, if you can go back and find my podcast, you'll have to remind me because because of this aging process, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't tell you what I said. I, I wrote six of them down on a piece of paper because right. yeah, it's, a, it's a horrible question, but it I, is. You want me to answer one? So uh, I'm, you I'm can go. You can plat- say more than one. Platinus, that's sycamore. Oh, ghost tree. And and why why is that one? What made you pick that one out of the other ones? You know, honestly, it's it's sort of innate. I, I was trying to figure out why that is, but I think it has to do with the fact that when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time playing in the streams, and I just love the sycamore and the winter landscape where it sits along our streams and what it can do in, the, in upland conditions too. Those grand grand trees, massive in scale. The wood is just so intriguing. The bark's intriguing. So I don't know. M- multiple answers. Awesome. I like it. I don't know that anyone has ever chosen sycamore. Not that I, I don't, remember. I don't think so. I think at one point we were working people, on the list. A lot of people considered a weed tree. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, foresters. Yeah, I'm not going to get many foresters answering that question. <laughs> but I've seen some. There's one in in a cemetery in Haddonfield that is the size of. Um, I've never seen one this size before, and it, because it was in a cemetery, it had all the space in the world mm-hmm. to get large. And it was just. Yeah. I think it took six of us to put our arms around the base of the tree. And it was that massive, and there's nothing like it when you see that structure in the winter and the color. It's it's really amazing. Yeah. John, you get to go next. Um, I think last time I answered with a plant community, so I'm going to keep it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how I usually answer too, John. <laughs> you can't have one without the rest, you know. Um, I actually, you know, I've I've actually been kind of heartbroken. Um, in, in this answer, because I would say my, my favorite native plant at the moment is the American beech. Um, one, because I have this ginormous, probably 100 to 150 year old uh, specimen right behind my house. I've loved living underneath it for the past 15 years. And I'm sure the people who live there long before me have always loved it. Um, I love the bark color. I love the, the leaves that hang on the young beech in, in the uh, all winter long. That color is just unmatched and so specific to the region that we live in. And um, 
you know, I think that, you know, given the ash decline and the emerald ash border, I would love for more people to be talking about the, the um, beech leaf disease. And just so there's an appreciation of what we have right now that can soon and unfortunately may soon be lost. So that's my that's my favorite native plant for today. Uh, that's a great choice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it makes me sad when I think of all the places I love to hike, which are primarily beech forest, beech oak forest. And to think yep. that maybe and, and you see the results of it in the forest already and you you know it's coming and it's uh it it definitely makes me sad it's it it's you know you lose the american chestnut and then the forest rebound and and we just keep losing players that support our biodiversity and it's it's very difficult i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna throw a curve i'm gonna ask you as well but before i do to see if you want to change your answer since i throw mine out there i want to see if our trusty moderator is is still monitoring us and if he'd be willing to turn his microphone on and, and uh, tell us who he is and, and oh, what yeah. his favorite native plant is. Oh, there he is. Well, hi, friends. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Santino. I'm the education coordinator for the preserve, and uh, I guess I'm the guilty party that assembled this amazing team of individuals, and I've been listening to time. Um I can't remember what I answered the first time I was on the podcast. I, I don't remember either. Plant. And it really does change every season. Um, one of my favorites, I guess, I talk about is, is spice bush. But since it's winter, I'm going to give a shout out to one of my favorite natives um, that really shines in the winter time, and that's skunk cabbage. Oh, mm. yeah. very nice. very nice choice. Nice. I thought you were going with witch hazel. Oh, I could have done witch hazel too. That's another good one. No, skunk cabbage being a great place for all of our insects to gather some warmth in the wintertime as it generates its own heat, melting the snow. Um, I secretly love the smell of the broken leaves in the summertime. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a fun plant to show people and get folks um, thinking about flowers when they wouldn't normally be thinking about flowers. I thought you were going to go with pawpaw since you've been rubbing it in with this uh, wonderful-looking pawpaw cider that you you just received. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So (laughs) huge shout-out to our curator, Glenn, who picked this up for me. Um, Absolutely fantastic cider, and if you could think of it like a almost citrusy hard cider. Um, has has notes of apple but definitely got that pawpaw citrus twist to it. Fantastic. Highly recommend. Sounds delicious. We've already it's talked. It's not an IPA. <laughs> 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 Tom, do you want to – has your answer changed? No. All right. Do you want to remind uh, everyone yeah, what you – mine's always been uh, Liatris piccata, which is Dense Blazing Star. Um, one for the the picture aspect of it where it's just different. Like if you have something lands on Eupatorium, butterfly lands on Eupatorium or a coneflower, it's like flat and normal. It lands on a, a – a, Liatris, it's vertical, so it's really good for for different marking materials. And then, uh, and then two is um, all the like a lot of the roots will actually die back on that plant too, and they kind of like retreat into that corm that's at the bottom. And then, so like each year, it kind of sends out a lot of new new root growth. It's not growing on the existing root, so very cool. Breaks up the soil a little bit. Very cool. All right, so we're going to end this the way we end every podcast, and it's a final thought. And Tom and I do this as well, um, but we're going to hand it over to you. Each of you, you, you get the floor. You can summarize. You can promote something. You can mention something that we, we left out, but we hand it over to you, and you can 
use it however you'd like. John, go ahead. Oh, man. <laughs> right in the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> final, thought, um, final thoughts on, on our discussion here today is that I really do hope and, and, and concentrate hard on that future where we see this industry being um, because I don't really like to look backward too often. It's always to, to uh, it's either in the moment or into the future. So as a final thought and anyone who out there is listening, whoever had interest in even growing native plants, you know, reach out to one of us and maybe uh, start a new career. And uh, let's, let's try to ease that demand a little bit by actually having more plants out in the marketplace. I love it. That's a great message. Donna, would you like to go next? Sure. Uh, when I, I'm going to answer the question about how important is it for um, native plant professionals like us to communicate. And my answer to that is it's super important because every time I talk with native plant professionals, I learn something. And I hope that everybody else learns something. It's just such a great community, and um, I'm glad I'm a part of it. That's wonderful thought as well. Jim, how about you? I'm actually going to merge both those thoughts with a little bit of a twist to John's about looking back. I, I share your space in terms of present and future, but um, I would say with regard to this, it ties in a little bit with what Fran had said earlier. I think there's a common value of the people that are all on this podcast here today and certainly with other people out there that are part of this industry. And that is, that is really cool. We, we, we live in a very neat space. Uh, we work in a very neat space. And I mean, how, how fortunate are we to be that? How many people do we know that just go to work and take their paycheck? We, we grow and, and live in a very neat space. And so I look back at 30 years of the experience with all of you, known you many, many of those years, and it's a fabulous situation. So I enjoy that history uh, to the future of your comment. I hope that there are others that are just entering this industry now or thinking about entering this that 30 years from now will have that same feel. I don't think we'll lose that, um, but um, you never know. I think it's an important component to what it is we do, and I think it makes us special and unique. So I, I push that out to the people that are just coming in. Awesome. Tom, you want me to go or you want to go? Uh, I can go. You've been going right. last with a lot of stuff, so I'll let you go last. Okay. Um, so, Jim, I like something you said earlier about, like, if you look back 30 years and see where the native plant industry is now, it is, like, amazing how far we've come. And I think that's important is you do need to look back every once in a while and celebrate, like, all the successes that you've had. Uh, but then the other flip side of that advice is um, something the guy not in the native plant industry told me. But it was like, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So it's you want to make sure you're celebrating what you've done but you got to keep you can't rest you got to keep just chipping away and keep moving forward so that and keep getting better every day so and i think as an industry and then as individuals and individual businesses i think we're all striving to do that awesome that's a great thought hey, just a quick quick shout out for yeah. and i want to just to tom's point you don't have to look any further than your backyard at your parents oh yeah i mean you talk yeah. about the you know don and suzanne have been such an integral part of this you guys are continuing you're exactly what we hope for you're the next generation of, yeah. a, of a great thing here. So um, shout out to your parents. They're, they're awesome people and, and they're responsible for a lot of the success. And there was a large time that neither you or your brother thought you were going oh, yeah. to enter the nursery. Yeah, sure. So the fact that you both did is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I, I, I find it, especially the more when I talk to all of you that and, – and you have this next generation coming in. 
it's weird that I've been here long enough now to be like an elder in the space, and I'm trying to take that very seriously and and help bring people along and and answer their questions and and be a mentor and help that next generation find the love that we have found. And and I love that you know I I never get tired of talking shop. I'm sure I've I'm sure I've pushed you guys to the edge in talking shop with me to to wanting to be done. But uh, I, I love that we can have this conversation. Jim and I were on a, a panel a week ago, and this conversation is almost completely different than the one we had a week ago. And I love that I can be in the aisle way of a conference and talk with John, and then we can go out and share a sunset together on Kent Island yeah. and just sit and enjoy the moment and, and enjoy it. And it, that's what I will take away with me as I leave this industry is just the friends that I've made because I've spent more time with all of you than I have sometimes with my own family. And it's, that's, that's how this industry is. So it's, um, it's nice to see that next generation coming on because I felt that there was a, like a gap in, in that as it moved forward from my time starting in the late eighties to now, I felt like there was something missing and I feel like we're getting it back. So uh, I thank all of you for being mentors in the space as well and 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 guiding that next generation to find this this love in native plants and nature. And I truly love this conversation. This is one of my favorites. I, I don't say that as as often on the mm-hmm. podcast, but this has just been I, I feel like we could keep talking, and we've oh, yeah. already been talking for an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, so. and in a few weeks, we probably will be at yeah. our next <laughs> at, trade show. At, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should Santino probably wrap it up. Add, if Santino yeah. could add some of that pawpaw to the conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. It might add. It might add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to a rooted discussion edition of Native Plants Healthy Planet. For more information, you can visit our website, which is nativeplantshealthyplant.com, uh, and you can we'll have links to we're going to have links to everyone here yeah, in, the, exactly. in the show notes. So yeah, thank you everyone for listening. To Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Thank you to R.J. Comer for our theme music to rooted discussions. We appreciate all of his contributions. Make sure you. Uh, Listen or download his music wherever you consume music or check out one of his Americana playlists on Pandora. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Please call the question and comment line. You can reach us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. You can ask a question or leave a comment. We'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And I want to thank, uh, give a big thank you to all the members of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Uh, if you join, you get a little preview. Like we're actually – actually probably at this point the logo has been updated, but the members are getting a, a view at our new graphics and, and potentially new T-shirts coming down the road. Yeah, so you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet. Uh, I was actually just looking at all the places people listen, and that's – Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, yeah. uh, Stitcher is had seven listens defunct. on there. So yeah. somehow they're still listening, even though it's <laughs> defunct. Um, iHeartRadio, really, wherever you consume your podcast, you can hear us there. Uh, if your platform of choice allows you to leave us a review or a comment like Spotify does, um, please do that because that goes a long way into making us feel good about ourselves and uh, also pushing us up, uh, especially the Apple charts, because that gets us in front of more eyeballs, which turns into earbuds. <laughs> and yeah, not your balls. That's not a thing. <laughs> so, um, and then, uh, yeah, promotes this native plant message. So, uh, 
yeah, if you do a little write-up with that five-star review, I give you a shout-out on our Buzz episodes. And uh, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. You're not going to mention the uh, merchandise? Oh, I forgot all about that part. I skipped ahead. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, we have we will have new T-shirts probably at this time. At this time, yeah, we'll have with our new logo on them. And some of the old logo ones are going to get retired. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. and just remember, we don't keep any of that money. Uh, any profits that come in off those shirts get donated to organizations doing good work. Uh, Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve is a former recipient yeah. of of that money. Yeah. Oh yeah, friend. You want to know why I skipped that part? Because I didn't put it in the, the didn't notes. Put it in the notes. Did yeah. you do that on purpose? To no, see what I, I no, <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Sorry. So, all right. That. Well, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you to our guests for for joining us today. We appreciate all your time. Coming up next, we have a new Buzz episode, so make sure you tune in. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.